0: Bandwidth for Cloth Talk is provided by the Scout History Project. Join us at the Scout History Project at www.scouthistory.net. Cloth Talk, number 24, Patch Trader, Collector. Oh, Historian. Welcome to Cloth Talk. My name's Tim Hall, and with me online here is Ben Killen. Ben, how's things up in uh, NYC?
1: It's going pretty good, actually. Um, we've, we've kind of, uh, it's been pretty much like winter weather up here, although it's gotten a little bit warmer uh, lately. But I got a brand-new coat, which is just really, really awesome, and I'm pretty excited
0: about it. You need a uh, coat up there? Yeah, I thought y'all got like eleven feet of snow, and and you know it was pointless.
1: Well, we got some snow, but not quite that much. But another reason why I got the coat is uh, because um, actually, by the time this this uh, episode hits hits the web, I will have just gotten back from ski trip that I'm leaving for tomorrow. Uh, so going up to uh, what's it called? Um, Camelback Mountain, which is about two hours from here in Pennsylvania. Oh. And my buddy from work gonna go skiing. So
0: I'm pretty excited. Wow, that sounds like a wonderful trip. Wonderful trip. So uh have you been skiing before?
1: One time before, but it was
0: it was in Boone, North Carolina. Yeah.
1: Um and you know, I was I was bunny sloping it. So uh We'll see how how well I do
0: this. (laughs) There's a lot to be said for those bunny slopes. i tell you, last time I went skiing was out in Colorado, and I just cannot seem to, every time I get the feeling that I'm in this controlled fall. Well, (laughs) it's not even that well controlled with me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully I won't come back with any broken bones or anything like that. So
0: uh, we'll see. Hey, coming up later in the show, we've got, uh, of course, John Pennell will visit us, and uh, he always has got something interesting to say uh, from his blog at uh, uh Chris Brightwell's coming around to give us a wiki tip, and he thinks he's run out of wiki tips uh there, Ben, but uh, all he has to do is try to get me to do something on the wiki. I'm like a walking tip, man. I need to know how to do everything. And then Beep Beep's coming along to uh, review uh, a website, and Brandon will update the uh, TOR calendar coming up. Also, really, I think one of the best, uh, certainly most interesting interviews we've ever had with uh, Mr. Bill Topkus is coming up, and we're thrilled to have it. matter of fact, we've got so much. It's going to end up being this show, and the next one, uh, really a fascinating individual, and uh, uh, just just a delight to uh, talk to, and a, a lot to process, I guess you could say. So, welcome to Cloud Talk. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we've got a great show lined up for you.
2: Hi, everybody. It's Chris will here with another two-minute Wiki Tip. I got an email from a listener the other day who says, "Chris, what are the links across the top of every page?" and I started to send an email and I said, tell you what, listen to the next episode of Cloth Talk and I'll explain it for you. So if you go to the Scout History Wiki, if you go to scouthistory.net, you click on the wiki logo and you log in, you look at the very top of your screen, you'll see a bunch of links across the top. The first one all the way to the left will be your username with the little person icon next to it. That is a quick and easy link to your user page. That's a place where you go, and I've, I've discussed this before, but that's a place where you go and you say, you know, hi, my name's Chris. I'm a co-founder of this project. Here's my scouting history. Here's the patches that I need. Here's, here's my needs list and here's my dupes list. And this is a, it's a place where people who are looking at edits on different articles can sort of get a feel for who you are. And somebody who might be looking to trade a patch with you might, uh, find you through that, uh, user page and figure out that not only do you have something that they want but they have something you want so it's a good place to sort of create sort of your own little personal place here on the Scout history wiki next to that is links that's called my talk what that is is that's a uh, a discussion how every article has a discussion page well every user has a talk page and that's a place where users can come and uh, leave you notes and leave you messages or ask you questions or offer trades It's sort of like a a general purpose bulletin board for each individual user. Next to that is preferences, and this this is vast in its options, but it's where you change your email address. It's where you can edit your real name. It's where you can edit your nickname. You can set your default language. For most of us, it'll be English. You can change your password. You can edit and how your times look on your on your wiki or your version of the wiki. Um there's a whole bunch of things that you can edit in the preferences link. Next to that is a watch list. Uh now uh, every article if you if you go and read individual articles, at the very top will be a link that says watch. And those of you familiar with eBay know that you can have a watch list. So you can watch individual auctions as the end. Well on the Scout History Wiki you can have a watch list for articles. And if you set up this list, you can click My Watch List, and it'll show you all the changes to all the articles that you've chosen to watch over the last, you know, however you've got that configured. It'll show you, I think it shows you by default 50 edits over 30 days, or maybe 7 days. Either way, it's configurable through the Preferences pane. And then you've got My Contributions. And for those of you looking to see all of the edits that you've made to the Scott Hershey wiki, that's where you do it. You click on My Contribution, and it'll show you every change you've made to the wiki. So that's it. That's a quick and easy overview of the links across the top of every page. Uh, if anybody has any questions or any problems or any suggestions on what I should cover, email me, chris at clothtalk.com. Thanks.
3: So today I am reviewing conclaveconclave.com which is the website for the W4C Conclave. This website is excellent for anyone who is thinking about going to a conclave. Maybe it's attended one and may just want some more information, or they're thinking about making a website for the conclave that they may be hosting. Just a little... Information about it. The story behind the URL is they were searching for a URL, no other word they could find as open URL, so but conclave. So they used the same word twice, and thus conclave.conclave conclave was created. Conclave.conclave.com tells what a conclave is, and it also features other things like an online registration, an online store. And they also have cool little videos promoting Conclave, which you might say are like Conclave commercials. If you need anything about Conclave, it's the perfect place to go, so go check it out.
0: Well, as always, John Pennell has his finger on the pulse of the trading community. Let's drop into one of the Tar Heel fans himself, Mr. John Pennell. John, how are you doing?
4: Oh, okay how are you all doing this evening
0: we're doing great ben and chris are here with us yeah howdy john been reading some of your uh... entries on the blog as always it's uh... always fascinating to see what you come up with and really uh... i really enjoyed a couple of them uh, patches as motivators wow where did you uh... where did you come up with all that research
4: um, a lot of it from my own recollection, and fact, some of them, some of the issues mentioned there in my own lodge, and also leading on to it, I was reading back to Bob McCandless again, and you know, he's talking about how he got back into the OA, and we had some private conversations, you know, he mentions his time at the Dakota Sioux Reservation, uh, how how was Indian Affairs? So I got him back in. I says, "Well, you know, a lot of people get in for the patches.
0: Really, the patches?
4: Yeah, a lot of lodges seem to think if they issue a special patch, people might show up and do things. Just think of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Wonder-
4: things you things people do for a patch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, believe me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at this, I see you've got a couple of examples. One is uh your your own lodge, Lodge Seventy, there right and um, that's that five piece you were um, you were talking about how has that been did that work for you actually
4: slash 70s, a three piece sorry oh
0: i'm sorry okay
4: three pieces oh what they do the idea was they wanted to encourage brothers to be a langamat
0: okay so they
4: decided they would come up with an interesting looking patch at three pieces and each time you were a langamat you got a third of it. And of course they issued them in order so that the patch really looks the most like a patch and says well, a get meta, it just has to be the third one you get. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the first two pieces look like the corner of a j- look like corners of jigsaw puzzles.
0: So it it worked well for you or is it still in use?
4: It's still in use, yes. And it seems to be working well for them.
0: Wow, that we have uh, we've done. Akusa has done the same thing in in a numerous uh, events. Uh, we have a uh, Chris being a past chief. He can talk to us a little bit about that. Did that work out for you, Chief? We had a problem with our landing award. It was too difficult to get. The
2: requirements were so steep. We had to have something like the landing had to follow. I think it was sixty percent of their clan through brotherhood, and there just weren't enough people doing that. But for the people who did it, yeah, the motivator was the patch, no doubt.
4: We have an extended Langamat patch, which does the same things, what you were saying, and they had the same problem with after a few years, but only two or three people earned it. So they lowered lowered the threshold, and we might see more of them get earned now.
2: Yeah, I think that over about three years, we only awarded maybe a dozen of them.
4: And it's kind of a disincentive if it's impossible to attain. People don't even try
2: yeah, but man, once you get one or two, they they'll trade like fire.
4: Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't we all know about that?
0: Mhm. Well, I saw um I saw that great example of uh of just incredible art, and that was the uh the uh, one that had the cathedral on it.
4: Yes. Wow. They had to stretch it to be scouting related, but their whole theme that year, this is Tipesa, saw 326 out of Florida. They, their activity patches each year tend to follow a theme. And one year they decided their theme was going to be architecture. And they usually have one for each event, and then to tie it in for the year, they issue a jacket patch. And their jacket patch for that year was the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And they just did an incredible job with it. It's a gorgeous patch.
0: I, I just can't imagine how you would uh, present that to the LEC. Uh, guys, this year we're going to have um, architecture is the theme of all our lodge patches. How does that work?
4: <laughs> I think that was probably an example of, trust me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I can imagine that would not be an easy sell.
0: Beautiful patch, though. I mean, absolutely yes. incredible uh, artwork.
4: And they probably went to the LEC with the artwork in hand. and said, this is going to be our theme, and this is what the patches are going to be.
0: Wow,
1: we also I guess it looks like in the in the bottom corner of that it's a, like a merit badge. Is that the humanities merit badge or what? Was I that, that s- the scouting that's the architecture? architecture merit badge? Yeah, oh, market- it's the architecture okay. merit badge. Okay, so mm-hmm. that was the scouting tie-in. I see. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. So That's just cool. think if you collect merit badges, you have to add that one to the list, too.
4: <laughs> Maybe you need to get someone back on and tell him he's a, uh, transfer to Florida. He's <laughs> already 18. <laughs> <laughs> There's one merit badge he didn't get.
0: Yeah, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. we So what's the new 2003 Conclave fake?
4: Yes. Uh, now and has had some trouble with some of their patches getting faked lately. And they, they when they hosted the SR7B Conclave back in 2003, they had several different flats. Uh, one which pretty much anyone can get. There was one that was a little harder. There was one for Workday. And then they had one where you just had to do all sorts of stuff to get. And only like 50 people earned it. And that was fake. A couple of fakes of that showing up. Now the Conclave Workday fake is showing up. And it seems to be originating from a seller out in British Columbia, who is known for selling other fakes. And it's it's just recently, in the past couple of days, turned up on eBay. And it's, uh, we were talking last time about chain type fakes. This is pretty similar in a lot of respects. It's a very close copy of the original design, there's some minor color differences, but Whoever did it very deliberately took something that was in red on the original patch and made it black. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, My guess would be that way he could say, well, gee, I'm not copying their flap. Their flap has Conclave Workday in red. This one is in black.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's an obvious not copying thing. Hmm.
4: Yeah. Uh, getting a little too clever by half.
0: So this really is not a Chang or an overrun. It's completely just right up front a fake.
4: I would, at least in my mind it is. You know, they may have gotten ha- hold of the uh, original punch, computer punch pattern and then you use that as the basis because mm. it is pretty close. But uh, it's an outright fake. It's not a Chang... It's not an overrun, because an, over, an overrun would be identical, right. or nearly so. Right. This is a very deliberate change.
1: This other uh, entry here on, on John Pennell's blog, talking about what makes a patch an official issue. Uh, and and I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about that, John. A
4: while, uh, while back, someone had posted on Patch. Now, he had the CSP. He had no idea what it was. And that's what started me thinking about this. <laughs> Turned out, he, he was able to figure out what it was, and... Wrote me. It was a world jamboree CSP from California Inland Empire Council, which is Kalia Lodge. And it turned out that this was a case of where whether the patch was authentic or not was murky. So I s- decided to do a little, you know, remembering stories and talking to some other people I knew. but tried to come up with, you know, what makes a patch official. You know, usually people think, well, you know, if the lodge is issued it's official. Well, it gets a little bit more complicated. You know, most lodges, it would require a vote of the Lodge EC, the executive committee, the officers, to make a patch. But what happens if the scout executive tells someone, go ahead and do it, and the officers were never involved?
0: Yeah. Or- yeah, we, we had something like that that happened, but, and this is just my humble opinion. I know everyone will differ, but, you know, he is the supreme chief of the fire. And right. That's kind of, my opinion too. Yeah, it, <laughs> well, see, it would become an official issue immediately. There's
2: right. some debate. There's some debate among youth that the supreme chief of fire can't make unilateral decisions. All he can do is overturn a decision of the LEC. but. I'm not going I'm to tell him that. The, I'm not going to tell him that either. And if the man wants to make a patch and sell it, I'm going to let him do anything he wants. <laughs> and,
4: and I've been told, too, that technically the only power the LEC does have, I mean, the, not the LEC, the chief of the fire, is he has the ult- power of what I'll call the ultimate veto. Yeah, he could tell the lodge you don't exist.
2: Right. Right. That was, my, that was my understanding as chief, was that all he could do was have veto powers. But the very few lodges are going to tell the man that he can't do something.
4: Right. <laughs> Especially when he's the council executive. Right. And a lot of the lodge officers are probably camp staff, so he signs their paychecks in the summer. Yep, yep. Yeah, they're not going to tell him no. And they were saying Blue Book has handled stuff like this various ways. It sometimes gets listed as an official issue. Some, uh, there's at least one case of a similar patch where the regional editor for Blue Book listed as a Q, because hmm. you know, the lodge specifically said no no we you know we don't approve this it's not our flap so he listed it as a rejected issue as a cue for the lodge
0: hmm interesting fascinating there's
4: also been a couple of examples of uh patches becoming approved or declared official after the fact
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah chris had one of those <laughs> 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 Which we'll talk about later when yeah, we can we're get. Gonna, the- we're going to go into detail over this, but yeah, there's a lot
2: of history behind that. That whole story.
4: <laughs> so, there was one of those out, uh, and I, as it was told to me, there was an example like that in Tawahi Lodge, where someone made an odd shape for Noack. You gave the contingent the patches. Of course, kept a bunch for himself, to trade, <laughs> and the lodge decided after the fact. Yeah, we like this. Let's make it official. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's called grandfathering it in.
4: Yes, ex, ex post facto official patches. <laughs> right. And there's been a few other odd examples along the ways. You know, you know, lodge chiefs doing things unilaterally, or advisors doing things unilaterally. It's rather, and there's been a lot of interesting comments about how things happen in other lodges.
0: When I've been in the graphics uh, world, they call these. Uh, these designs, assets—is that what they call them? <laughs> Something along those lines. Uh, wh- and then well, you, you you publish them. Well, you could call
1: it that, yeah. Uh, but uh, you, there's a lot of words for stuff. Like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, excuse me. I, okay, yeah.
4: <laughs> Probably several of them which we can't say in polite company. <laughs>
0: <Right. Yeah. laughs> well, John, as always, thank you for your insight. Uh, That's uh, blog at (laughs) oaimages.com. We'll try that one more time. There's no E in there. That's blog.oaimages.com. John Pinnell's site. And, uh, John, we certainly appreciate it. It's always fascinating visiting with you. Thank you. And with us online is Ben Killen and uh, Mr. Bill Tompkins himself. Bill, welcome to Cloth Talk. Thank you very much for taking some time this evening to be with us.
5: Well, thank you for having me, Ben and Tim. Uh, it's my pleasure.
0: Let's just get started. How, how did you get started in scouting, uh, Bill?
5: Um, well, I started as a Cub Scout in September of 1967, so this is my 40th year involved in scouting, and that was in uh, the Crescent Bay Area Council, which is West Los Angeles. And I went on from Cub Scouts uh, into Boy Scouts, and pretty much fell in love with the cloth uh, right at the beginning. That even as a Cub Scout, when I'd look at the older Scouts and I saw the badges they were wearing, the older Cub Scouts, that was, um, I-, I just thought the badges were wonderful. And once I became a Boy Scout, I became even more interested in them. And once I became an Arrowman, which was in 1972, uh, I w- I was hooked. And I went to the 1973 National Jamboree as a participant and started trading. At that time, my lodge had merged. My original lodge was Tammet Lodge, but I went to the 73 Jamboree from my new lodge, which was Malibu Lodge. I had no idea how popular that away flap would be, but um, having a small stack of Malibus, I maybe had 10 or 15 of them with me. um, I had the time of my life trading patches and really never stopped.
0: Wow, I, I I just bet you did because I was at the, uh, I I went to the 1975 uh, NOAC and somebody came back with a with a Malibu and the first thing out of my mouth was you traded what how many for this <laughs> but it was a beautiful patch I mean just a spectacular patch for that day you know it had so many colors in it and it was really uh, just you know top of the uh, of the art at the time.
5: Right. In fact, the, the flap was designed by a person who's now my best friend. Jeff Morley was the designer of it. He's a dentist, but he studied art for his undergrad degree, and uh, he came up with that design. And um, I would have to think it's one of the most enduring designs now in all of Order of the Arrow. That flap was first issued in 1972, so we're now 35 years later. And other than a Florida Lee being added to it and occasional border color change, that flap hasn't changed at all in 35 years.
0: Yeah, it definitely is a classic, and that, it is a beautiful piece. So that's how you got to know Jeff, and of course you and Jeff uh, put together the First Flap, or the original First Flap book, and I bet that was an adventure. Tell us a little bit about how how on earth you, I mean, that was a big thing, a big chunk to bite off, to, to do all that research and everything. How did you manage that? I mean, my goodness, it, it took a while, I imagine.
5: Well, it did, and... Jeff actually started collecting first flaps before I was collecting them, and when we first decided we needed to do the book, Jeff had less than 10 needs on his first flap list, and I maybe had over 100 of them. That um, I, was, I, I was picking them up, and I, I'd always pick them up along the way, but that wasn't the emphasis of my collection originally. My emphasis was more Western region, California, uh, names and numbers, but I had it really branched out into the issues but any time I got a first flap, I just put it away, and once I decided I wanted to collect the first flaps, the first thing you need to do is figure out which are the toughest ones and why, and that Rosetta Stone had never been uh, decided at that point. Nobody really knew what the best ones were. People knew that the 272 statine flap uh, was at the top of the list, but what were the other great ones, and uh, so... Both of us had our separate experiences collecting them, and while we were working on the book, I was working on my need list. And by the time we published, I was actually down to one need on the list. I, I was virtually complete, and I completed it actually before the book act was actually fully published in uh, in people's hands. That so by actually two of us independently collecting each one of those flaps, we had a sense of how good they were. Of course, we knew where they were from, um, and. Um, so we slowly we, we broke the code one of the things we did do to research when they were issued and of course we weren't hundred percent accurate but we were pretty darn close to that that we would we would be looking at uh, old trader magazines and so forth and see when the flap first showed up and when we could find the first notation of it and uh, so the research took also uh, maybe two to three years to complete uh, to put that book together and one of the things we did in the book is you probably noticed is there have been some stories, nicknames for some of these flaps or we try to at least give a little something about them on why it is difficult or what's unusual about it. And the first flaps had a, a lot of great flavor because there were no rules when those flaps were being issued. So you know have things like buttonholes in the middle of the flap and so forth. And uh, so it, it was a lot of fun. It was a great work to put together um, that, uh, I didn 't realize just how much a first flap collection would become sort of a holy grail of of collecting in order of the arrow, but um, kind of like the rookie cards would be for baseball cards the The, the first flap by definition tends it 's certainly the oldest flap from East Lodge, and in many cases it would be the best one
0: yeah, absolutely it would be just like the uh, the rookie card collection or the the first issues of stamps or or uh, anything along those lines. It, it, it's uh, it's an amazing an amazing piece,
5: and a lot yeah. and fun Go. pursuit too. It's it become expensive as a pursuit, but uh, tremendously gratifying. A lot of fun to be picking them up, and you really start to learn more and more about each of the lodges as you do it. Um, so uh, that, uh, and I don't think anyone needs to try to bite off the whole country and say I'm gonna I'm gonna collect it all. But start with your own state, which can be challenging enough, depending where you're from, uh, and. Uh, and then build out from there. Maybe then you go to your section or, or region, or and, and so forth, as you keep building outwards. And that, that's actually how my collection was built. It in concentric circles. I kept getting larger and larger as I expanded where it was going.
0: Cool, real cool. I know you're a master digger. In in other words, you can you, you dig up history. I mean, you're you're really good at that, and 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 finding old patches uh, from old timers. Do you have some stories or and, and some of uh, maybe some of the treasures that you found uh, uh, in pursuit that way? Well,
5: sure. Uh, yeah, that uh, I, I do have some stories. That uh, it always was fun digging and finding people, and um, and sometimes the stories weren't even about the patches. That uh, two different times when I was looking for old scout memorabilia, I came across someone that was over a hundred years old, and um, first of all, it's shocking when you actually find someone who's alive that was born in 1897 or something it almost doesn't seem possible you can find someone who would be that old and and not unusual they're still in the same home they lived in in the 1940s that might have been how I found them the address was still good with that name on it so one of the rules I always had was if I spoke to someone who was over 90 and certainly over 100 my favorite question was what's your secret (laughs) how did you get there (laughs) and uh, so I always enjoyed that and uh, one of the secrets I, I remember once telling me was everything in moderation. this, this and I, I think that that was a great rule. And when I asked them, uh one of the gentlemen what he would do different, I remember he told me if, if he knew he was going to live that old, he would have taken better care of his teeth. So <laughs> sometimes you get great with the device that have nothing to do with the patches. Uh, one of my favorite stories, which is which actually led me to where the current main emphasis of my collection is. I, I was doing research on Uncas Lodge Two Ninety Seven uh, out of Connecticut, and they have one of the very best first flaps, and they also have one of the very best wabs—the Wabaningo patches pictured in Dwight Bishop's book—and that uh, uh, I, I was trying to find. Actually, at that time, I needed both patches: the first flap, the F one, as well as the X one uh, felt uh, patch from that lodge, and. Uh, First of all, the the most unusual thing about that, I was living in Los Angeles at the the time. Now, Now I live in Park City, Utah. I was living in L.A. and doing the research there, and one of the things I did is I actually decided I'm going to run some ads and picture these patches to see if anyone will show up with them. And there were a number of reasons why I wasn't finding them there. Uh, Part of it is that that was a community that had had changed its demographics. It had been a primarily white community and had become a primarily African-American community. So the people that were there that earned the patches no longer were there to begin. But I ran the ads anyway, and and it turned out that when I was running them, there were a group of high school reunions going on uh, in that area. And from two different high schools, I had people contact me, and I ended up finding three of the first flaps in Los Angeles. All of them were, where I lived actually drove to pick them up. Um, and I thought that was really unusual that I'm, I'm researching in Connecticut, but where do I finally find these flaps? I'm finding them in my backyard in Los Angeles. Uh, one of the gentlemen lived only part-time in L.A. And he had said to me, could I could I one day come and see the collection? I, I, you know, I, this sounds great. Um, and I said, well, well sure, you know, it, uh, that would be wonderful. Anytime you want, you have an open invitation. I, I kind of forgot about that, and about a year later, he called me up one day, and he said, do you remember me? And I, and of course, said that I did. And he said, I, I'd love to see your collection if you'd be available. I've got a couple nights open this week. And I said, well, come on up. Let's let's go look at it. Um, so he, he came up, and he loved it. it, it my, my collection, I always sorted it by state and by region. So what he loved seeing was the old Region 1, which is New England. And he, he was looking at all the patches from his area, uh, that he knew as a boy. He also was seeing patches from the lodges that the lodge he had been in, August Lodge, after he had left the lodge. So he loved seeing those things. And at, at the end of, I don't know, we maybe spent two hours together sharing war stories about patches and and, and scouts and so forth. And at the, at the end of uh, of the meeting, he he turned to me and he said, because I don't know if you collect these things, but I have this, and if you want this, you can have it. And he dropped into my hand a Caldwell totem pin made by J.E. Caldwell Company. It was a little tiny fox, not even a quarter inch long, maybe at most, with a chain to the arrow. And of course I'd seen them, but they're so rare. As a collector and a Traderies, I think I'd seen three of them in 20 years of collecting at that point. And he drops this one in my hand and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this is incredible. First of all, I had no clue that Uncas Lodge had had a totem pin. Uh, But beyond that, It struck me really hard that of all the research I've been doing for all these years, I had not been asking them about their pins. And not only did I realize I must have left a lot of them behind, but it started to occur to me, these may be the best pieces of OA insignia that there are. They're virtually all one per life. No one bought more than one of them. That You had to be at least a Brotherhood member to get them, and of course there were also vigil pins with a little triangle on them as well. And that's what started me into collecting the totem pins was uh, the surprise of having one of them dropped into my hand like that. And, uh, and, I, and I still love that part of my collection, That uh, um, uh, pursuing the pins. Uh, they, I displayed them at the recent NALAC, uh in the museum, and that, uh, I, I'm excited every time I can find a new one.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. I, I remember seeing some of those and uh, also uh, what I saw at NOAC was uh, a film that I believe you and your son uh, put together. It was uh, a marvelous film. I believe it was uh, simply titled Erna Goodman. And uh, I sat down okay. in those chairs and enjoyed the cool, uh, the coolness of the museum for a few moments and actually watched from beginning to end uh, your film and I, I thought it was great. Would you like to tell us just a little bit about that?
5: Sure. The- um what started that was at the uh, 2004 NOLAC. I-, I was speaking to a couple of older gentlemen that were uh, working in the museum, and I mentioned that um, it seemed like a long time ago when-, when I'd seen Dr. Goodman actually speak at a NOLAC. And these two people that were longtime long both turned to me and said, well, I-, I never saw him, I never met him, never heard his voice. And it was a real surprise to me. I- I- it just hadn't occurred to me that virtually no one, there's still certainly a number of people that have seen Dr. Goodman speak, but it was getting to the point at a NOAC where if there were 7,500 participants there. Maybe only three or 400 of us had actually met him. That uh, I was lucky enough to have met him. Um, I believe I met him first time was at the 73 National Jamboree, and then the next time I met him was at the 77 NOAC um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so I realized, well, People don't know him. They don't know what he sounds like anymore. And um, around the same time, uh, a good friend of mine who, who not, a lot of collectors are familiar with, Dwight Bischel, um, um had been speaking to me and said, you know, I recorded audio tapes of Dr. Goodman speaking in the early 50s at the, at the National Order of the Air conferences. He said, would you be interested in a copy of those recordings? I recorded them on reel-to-reel. And I said, of course I'd be interested in those, but, but it would be incredible to, to get copies of those. So he's probably with the copies of them, and I'm thinking, well, what do I do with this? Well, in the last couple of years, my, my oldest son, Jake, um, had become interested in filmmaking. We, we live here in Park City, Utah. We're, we're known for the Sundance Film Festival, and uh, Jake has had a lot of exposure to films, and uh, that's what he wants to do with his career, at least right now that's what he says he wants to do. And uh, I realized, well, I've got a talent in my house that knows how to put a film together. I've got these audio tapes. We have an audience that, for the most part, has never heard Dr. Goodman's voice. We need to put this together. I said to Jake, uh, you, you owe me for various things. We're going to put this film together. And uh, Jake got right on it, and um, I, I can't take any credit for the, for the cinematography of the film, the actual way it was put together. I, I was involved in the audio to select what should be heard. But, uh, there was some editing with it to make it sound a little bit better, uh there there was a joke that no one would understand anymore. It was it, there was actually a joke referencing Adolf Hitler uh that he used in the early fifties when addressing uh the National Conference and I thought that's, that's a really dated joke. So we we'll uh, we'll have to we'll have to cut that out. But uh, we put the rest of it together and uh when I first saw it, I, I it I don't know, I, it gave me shivers. I, I I thought, wow, this is amazing and um so we brought it to the museum. We, of course, put it on a continuous loop. And I don't know how many people had the opportunity to see it, but uh, a lot of people did. And, and I suspect that the, the goal, of course, will be that we'll continue to show that at Every Now Act. And um, I've given out my email address, which I'd be glad to give out here, that anyone who'd want a copy of it for their lodge or the, for their section uh, would be glad to make that available as, as a public service to, to put that out. It's, of course, relatively short we realized that attention span of the NOAC is relatively short. Uh, there are a lot of things to see, a lot of things to do. And I felt that five to eight minutes would be our maximum range, and I think it's just short of eight minutes long, that film. And uh, I had a lot of fun putting it together, and I'm glad we were able to present it for the first time.
0: Yeah I, I really enjoyed it and it it was uh it was uh, like you said it was refreshing to hear uh, Goodman again and I remember him at the uh, of course at 75 and at uh, 77 Uh, speaking and he was a charismatic speaker and it was delightful to to see that Ben I know there's at least two or three ways to listen to the show and I'm sure there's that many ways to be notified of the show really quick Uh, a way to listen to the show of course is to uh, listen to it through iTunes or feed burner or somebody like that that all they do is kinda point back it at us uh, at the download which is right there on the page or you can actually go straight to that page and you'll find a little player and uh, you can click on that player or you can click on something that's uh, a little link below that says play and pop up and that'll pop up another little player and you can listen that way now how does the notifications work so that i know to go check out that there may be a new show
1: um, well, the old fashioned way is to uh, uh to tie a string around your finger and uh and every two weeks when it rots off, you know it 's time for a new
0: cloth talk. Uh so but that brings me- new meaning to pull my finger
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah so but but i wouldn 't really recommend that uh that method because it 's not completely reliable sometimes the string lasts for you know sixteen days instead of fourteen, and you know so you know it's full of of bugs that need to be worked out by our our bug team but uh the easiest way to never miss a cloth talk is to go to our webpage clothtalk.com uh and then click on the little merit badge there and it'll bring you right to our page and on the left hand side there's a little box where you can type in your email address uh mm-hmm. and you type it in and hit enter or click okay uh, below it and it brings up this other window just to verify you know that you're a real person and once you do that it will um, sign you up for our e-newsletter. We're not going to send you a bunch of spam. We're we're not into that. What we will do, though, is you'll get an automatic email once every two weeks when we post a new episode. uh, And it'll just say, hey, there's new Cloth Talk. And you can read the show notes there uh, and click on the link. Or you can just use that as your reminder to come to the website and listen to it right there on the site. Of course, you can also subscribe through iTunes. Just go into the iTunes Music Store and type in Cloth Talk, and uh, it's the first result that comes up there. You can subscribe there, and it will download that automatically every two weeks. Uh, So there's just a ton of ways uh, to do it. Or or another way is just to send Chris Brightwell an email, chris at clothtalk.com, and bug the crap out of him every single day if you want to, and say, hey, is there a new episode? Is there, what, is it, new, oh, okay. So I don't I don't know if uh, that would really get on his nerves or not, <laughs> but maybe you should try it. I don't know. It could be a new uh, new way to promote the show. What do you think, Tim?
0: I think it'd work. Knowing Chris, <laughs> he's uh, he's full of it.
1: <laughs> oh, just playing, Chris. You know we love you, um, but he's not here, so I had to you know of course make fun of him.
0: You know, Ben. The other day I was cruising past eBay, and lo and behold, there was a button that said. I listen to cloth talk, you should too. Where do you get that button to put on a cell? And uh, I guess if, you, if they've got something listing, you could put it in there. How does that work?
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's, we've actually tried to make it very easy. There's a a link on the left hand navigation bar of our website, clothtalk.com, why don't you click on the little clothtalk merit badge there. Um, and there's a link there that says something about eBay auctions. And, uh, you click on that and it will bring you to a little, um, page and it has a little text box there with a little bit of, uh, code html code is actually what it is you can just select that code in that box and then paste that into your ebay uh... item description uh... when you create that new uh... item listing and it will automatically put that little cool image in there and, and have that text that says, I listen to cloth talk. You should too. And people can click on that and bring them right to our website. And that is a great way to spread the word, uh, about the show if you enjoy it. And we, we certainly hope you do and hope you'll feel compelled to, uh, share it with others because as we all know, uh, there is no place, uh, on the web that houses more, um, collectors, uh, than eBay. So, uh, so help us out if you enjoy the show and, and tell others about it in that way.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to do it too. Uh, listen to cloth talk while you surf eBay and just, uh, just enjoy. Enjoy your time, uh, learning about patches both through your ears and through your eyes at the same time. Hey, Ben, do you know what 415 287
1: 3263 is? Um, Okay, there's a reason that showed up on my uh, long-distance bill. I've already had this discussion with my parents. It's cool. There's no need to discuss it anymore.
0: <laughs> That's right. It's free, though. It's a free call if you call it from your cell phone. 415. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we weren't talking about those 900. This is not <laughs> 900. It's 415. Yeah, four was was yeah uh-huh. another oh, Freudian sorry. slip, Ben. Yeah, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> 415. That's 415 two eight seven thirty two sixty three that's the cloth talk hotline you know you're s- serving <clears throat> searching eBay you stumble across that wonderful cell that's about to end and you get it or you know you miss it and it was that that number that you need to finish that number set you know you've been working on for the last two years and or 20 years <laughs> depends I guess how fast you are and you just want to tell somebody about it Call us, tell us the story, because we're going to be there and we'll answer that phone. Actually, our answering machine will answer that phone. And you can uh, record your story there and guess where you'll hear it next time. All right, that's 415-287-3263. You know, Ben, every time we uh, do another one of these, we sit down. I look at these logs every day. And we've got people from Hungary, from France, China, the Netherlands... Canada, Mexico, the Russian Federation, Spain, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, Colombia, the Ukraine, Brazil, Japan, Trinidad and Tobago, and Sweden, the United Kingdom. Quite a few hits from India this time, and of course, quite a few people from the U.S. military that are listening, and we'd really like to extend a special thanks to the U.S. military. But all these foreign countries here, these are actually the uh, domain uh, IP addresses that come from outside the United States. We'd like to really say thank you for listening. And, hey, if you really do have a story uh, that uh, you think would identify here with uh, material we talk about on Cloth Talk, which is really the history of scouting, it's what it really gets down to, the history of scouting, not just the BSA, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note at ClothTalk at cloth com, and once again, Let me say thanks to the U.S. military. You're the reason we're free. You're the reason we're able to do what we enjoy doing, which is talk about the history of scouting. And we certainly appreciate your service. So to everyone that's in the U.S. military, thank you. That wraps it up, Ben, for another Cloth Talk. I'd like to thank everyone for uh, taking their time and coming together. Ben, you and Chris and Brandon and uh, Beep Beep and oh my goodness, uh, Bill Tompkins, what a what a great uh, what a great show this was.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really great so far, and and I know that everyone is out there on the edge of their seat waiting uh, for the next episode coming up in two weeks because it's just more of the same good old stuff. So. Uh, so, yeah, definitely remember to come back and check out the second part.
0: Got a note from uh, our old friend Daniel Hodge. Guess where he had been? Um, I don't know. Where? Argentina, down in the southern hemisphere for a twist. I guess he went down there to warm up a little bit before he goes and freezes again in Alaska. Yeah. I'd like to thank Daniel for uh, his uh, efforts on the music here. As always, we couldn't do it without you, Daniel. Thanks much. I'm Tim Hall, and with me is Ben Killen. Thanks for listening to Cloth Talk, bringing you the history of scouting through collectibles.